Nothing better than listening to an upper-middle-class white boy who has never played a contact sport in his life, nor has he ever been in a physical fight to test his moxie, talk about the NFL draft. No intro music, no background music, horrible audio, boring content, annoying guests, delayed audio, sounds like a winner. This sucked. It's bad that the weirdo teacher was the most entertaining. Kyle sounds like a mainline turd, and the other guy sounds like Bam Bam Bigelow. I can't even believe I got 20 minutes in. All right, welcome to Crossing Broadcast. I'm your host, Kyle Scott. I'm joined, as always, by Adam Lefko and Russell Joy. Guys, the reviews are in. It's uh, all downhill from here, I guess. Thank you so much to all of you who dropped comments and five-star ratings in iTunes. It's fantastic, and especially thank you to the person who called me a weirdo. I could not agree with you more. Yeah, I like that. Complimenting Russell is the backhanded compliment of our podcast. It's like, I'm even finding the teacher more interesting. Yo, I like Russell, so back the fuck off. No, I like it. It is a good launch point, guys. We start off real shitty, and we get real good. It'll be nice. Adam Carolla coined the CompuSalt, where they give you a compliment, but then they have to finish it up with an insult. So uh, we might be the kings of that. Um, brief first show follow-up. Uh, we did have a few mic issues. There was a little bit of, of delay and some cutting out on Adam's end. I screwed up some editing stuff, so I had to take both all three of our voice tracks and try and match them back up within the span of 20 minutes so we can get the show up. So there was some rough edit points, and we completely blew through a topic on ESPN and their firings, which we will get to today because uh, I think it's definitely worth talking about right now. So a little bit of room for improvement. Overall, not bad for a first show. Just a reminder, if you're listening, the show will run three times per week to start. Be posted Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays around 7 a.m. Uh, and if you haven't already, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, as Russ said, leave us a five-star review. It does help us get ranked. All right, guys. Um, NFL Draft, it is 6 in the morning the day after. I don't know what we were thinking starting this um, the, a week where we were all going to be up crazy late on Thursday night. Adam, you hosted Bleacher Reports live five-hour coverage on Facebook. Um, how are you even here? I'm here because I dislike the draft pick so much, Uh-oh. and I saw that both of you guys liked it, and Love I it. needed to come and explain to you what it is that happened last night that I pushed myself out of bed. All right, start, go right into it. So I, I when it's let, let's pretend that talking about a draft pick is like talking about a girl that you just started dating, and that when I say, "Man, what's she like?" and you're like, "Well, listen, she's young, uh, you know, she has got great production, she's got really good character." That's what they're saying about Derek Barnett. And when you tell me that, that's the equivalent of being like, look, she's got a really good personality. When you say those things, age, production, and character, you know what you're not saying? He's a really good athlete. He's a freak of nature, a game changer. What they got was, and Russell was joking before, Brandon Graham, a longtime veteran plug-in at a very big part of the draft at pick number 14. Jonathan Allen was there. Jonathan Allen was a top five guy next to Fletcher Cox. That would have been crazy. OJ Howard is a specimen. Brent Selleck is 32. Malik Hooker, I understand not going with a safety, 
But this is another top five guy that we could have figured out a way to get involved. Gary and Conley, apparently the NFL checked out and we already knew that we liked him, could have been the guy. Reuben Foster. These are all guys that are like team changing and they went with the, oh, He's a really good character guy. This is the character guy after last year they took Mills, Wendell Smallwood, and McAllister, and he gave a whole speech about how, look, character, it's sometimes they're college kids and they make mistakes. So pick one, Howie. Do you more care about character or do you care about athletes? Because all they talk, all I'm reading is this whole Reggie White sack thing. Every single article in the Philly Def Daily News is about the, the sack thing and character. If, when you get a lot of stats in college, it doesn't matter. Like, look at the all-time leaders in sacks in the NFL. I mean, in college, they don't always translate to the NFL. Danny Chung is the all-time pass leader in college football. It doesn't matter. Stats don't matter in college football. And Marcus Hayes, his column was such shit yesterday. <laughs> don't boo the defense. And then he used... Two likely fictional fans having a discussion to push his narrative about, ooh, Vinnie Curry, what are they going to do, whether or not they should boo or not, don't boo defense. He is so bad in his column that he has no original thought. He likely made up those two fans. I get Was that really this morning? He yeah, it was this morning. I was in my column. bed at two in the morning reading the column going, dude, this is dog shit. Dude, like, he had that up too. Uh, they tweeted out a, a link to their back page within, I want to say, eight minutes of the pick, and it already had the Hayes column. So I he had that written long before the pick. So was that means made. that uh, he, he had made up yep, he made yep. up a fan conversation and it wasn't even good. Like uh, man, I I all, I all four Philly Daily News articles were the same article, just repurposed. How do you not take different notes? How are we not talking about wow, Jonathan Allen fell and they didn't take him. So um that was my rant. Um, it's just, it, this felt a lot like the Marcus Smith pick where it was, oh man, there's a run on pass rushers. We got to get one. And they took the, they took the one that, man, I, I just, it gives me no juice whatsoever. All right. So two things here. I'm with you on college players. Their st stats in college, not translating to the pros. I mean, this is classic in basketball, really. The other part of it is though, it, the knock, you're calling him not an athlete or not a great athlete or just a character guy. I feel like the not... Is the knock on him solely because he ran a slow 40? No. The knock is because when he does drills, he does it slower. He can't jump. He can't run. And when you watch him, so here's like, this is the thing that I need to explain to people because my Twitter was blowing up last night because on the air, I started cursing out Howie Roseman. Like when I, when we were going live, like I just, I freaked out because the whole draft process, like I know they're going to take this guy. I'm sitting there next to NFL draft scout, Matt Miller, who watches insane amount of film. I'm sitting there next to Sims, who watches a ton of film and talks to coaches in the NFL. And the one thing that all the coaches were telling Sims was he's a guy like you get him in the second round and he's there, but you don't, you don't really take him in the early teens. We're not that interested in him. I don't think anybody was looking to take him and the NFL draft is a value game. So when both of them look at me and go, Hey, sorry, man, 
all the other coaches in the NFL are going, wow, I would have waited a lot longer with all these studs falling. It's not about whether or not they like him or he's going to be reliable. It's you take the value that's there. And there was other guys that we could have gotten there that would have made more sense in the value. This is not my analysis. I'm going off to two guys that actually watch. And a lot of fans like to be like, well, Man, look at the stats. Yo, fuck your stats, dude. They're not that important. I'm just telling you that Eagles got suckered into a love affair and we're not ready for all these dudes to fall to them because three quarterbacks and three wide receivers went in the top 10. I feel like I just took a cold shower. Thanks for yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, now I, I can't go back to bed and I got to do okay. five more hours tonight. I'm done. All right, Russ? I was disappointed, especially in, in – now, look, I, I'm not a big college football guy, so I defer to Adam on practically everything that has to do with this draft. The only thing that I will say is on the ESPN coverage last night, they were saying he's got short arms and he's quick off the line, but he's not a fast guy. <laughs> I want a disruptor. Yeah, I want somebody who, who you're actually throwing money at who's actually going to be a well-rounded guy on your line, who's actually going to be able to take off a lot of pressure from the cornerbacks that you still haven't addressed, and who's actually going to go after the quarterback. And this guy, from from the little bit that I've gathered, and especially from passionate Adam over there, is that's not the guy. And the thing that oh. I think I was more upset about was watching these other guys fall, I don't get why you wouldn't just trade back. Like, if this is the guy you're going after and conventional wisdom says that he's a guy that you could probably pick up three, four, five picks later, why not just trade back? Well, like, look, so, look at what Chicago did in moving up to number two, which I don't get that move at all. But, <laughs> you know, they they traded a total of four picks to move up a spot. Like, there's no reason that Philly couldn't have just moved back a few picks, especially knowing that guys were falling, like especially knowing that O.J. Howard was there and Jonathan Allen were there. There had to be teams later in the round that would have given you at least uh, a couple thirds or a third and a fourth just to move up. And for a team that is so thin at cornerback, you would think that they would have moved back to try to get a few more picks. So I'm disappointed in the player they got, and I'm more disappointed that Howie pulled really something that I thought would be very anti-Howie. Like, I was talking to a colleague yesterday, and it was like, the, the draft's in Philly, this is Howie's moment, Howie loves making the big splash. And I wasn't expecting a trade-up, but I was expecting a flashy name. I was expecting something that was going to be able to lead coverage for the entire rest of the day. And this guy doesn't do it. Like, it, it was just, you get so hyped up for the draft, and then it's just such a letdown. Uh, one other thing that I know they said, I want to jump in really quick. One other thing that, that I know a lot of people like to say about, um, this kid, Derek Barnett. And look, I said this on the broadcast. I'll say it now. I hope Derek Barnett makes me look like an idiot. I hope Derek Barnett it, can lose 15 to 20 pounds. Cause he's got a gut right now and becomes this guy that can actually like go out there and do something. The only, the other thing I'm saying is they keep going. He's very advanced with his hands. Guys, you do not want that. That's when a guy has already learned a lot of technique and he doesn't have a lot of room to grow. You want those really raw dudes that don't even know their hands yet. So if we have a slow guy with short arms that already uses his hands well to take advantage of crappy offensive linemen in, in college football, then we're getting maybe a guy that maxed out. But I really hope he proves me wrong. I just I'm not proven wrong a lot. 
I, I started to get to know my hands real well around the time I was 12, but that's a different go. story. Um, <laughs> Russ, Russ, I, to your point about moving back, I was a little surprised. Here, here's the sole reason I like to pick. I am not a college prospect guy. And again, I'll defer to Adam. Uh, you, you've, you're killing me this morning, but I, I'm Sorry. with you. Okay, fine. Here's the reason I liked it last night and still don't hate it. All along, I, again, I put this out six weeks ago. I had a guy, and he's like, I'm telling you, they're going to take, they're going to take a defensive lineman. Uh, shortly after that, started hearing it's going to be a defensive end. Um, from some other folks, it sounded like they really liked Barnett. He was their D end. They did not expect him to be there at 14, and they, had, they were going to take Charles Harris. So when it came and the Eagles had a choice between not only Barnett and Harris, but also Jonathan Allen, everyone thought they were going to uh, – I don't want to say everyone. A lot of people looked like on Twitter thought they were going to take Allen. He was probably, probably the most talented D-line guy available at that time. I don't think the um, I don't think the Eagles were ever looking in the interior. I think they were looking at the ends all along. I was surprised they didn't trade back because they definitely could have got Charles a little bit later. They could have got a little bit of value, even just to slide back a few spots. So I was a little bit surprised there. But all along, Barnett was their guy, uh, and he was available. So I, I don't look if you don't have confidence in Howie and I'm not so sure that I do I don't I'm not sure I have confidence in any of these guys when I hear from the, my same birdie yesterday that if the Eagles were to trade up for McCaffrey which thankfully didn't happen that was yeah. a Jeffrey Lurie move he is more involved in the process than he's ever been over the last two years he really wanted McCaffrey you could try and extrapolate the reasons why out of that um but Howie all along and Douglas, they had a defensive end on their board, and the guy they wanted was available, and they took him. So I don't know if I have confidence in those guys, but that's who they yeah. wanted. He was there, and they, I would imagine they were thrilled that he was there. And that's I don't know if that's a good way to grade a draft, but it is the guy they wanted. Yeah, if that's the guy they wanted, then if they believe that it fits their profile of what they want, I will say right now, I will say, Joe Douglas, I have a lot of faith in you, and I hope you got this right. The rest of this draft will determine the first pick. Your total haul determines your first pick. Because there are so many uh, I know that Matt he's he already has slotted Joe Mixon to the Eagles around two. If they go defensive end running back in the first two rounds and we're not addressing corner until the third round, then I, I just the second round, I need them to get a corner. I mean, this secondary is so bad. They need to get a guy to pair alongside Jalen Mills. But if they go defensive end and running back, man. Uh, I don't think they're going to get one of these really good corners that they thought they could wait around for. So we'll see if their patience pays off. I was somewhat surprised they didn't go with Gary and Conley. Uh, Conley. When that report came out that an NFL owner made him take a polygraph, which is ridiculous, I immediately thought that sounded like a Lori thing. And then when the Raiders took him yeah. and it was a Davis thing, I was like, oh, yeah, that, yep, that's a Mark Davis thing, not a Lori thing. But would you have taken him there, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I think it sounds like everyone did their due diligence on the guy, and it doesn't sound when like that, he laid a See, hand what on happened was for that to happen two days before, he put out the very strong letter saying that it was definitely not me. He said he was willing to take a DNA test, a polygraph, and all that. And then think about which college coach is going to help his player out the most with the police department. Urban Meyer, because you know he's talking to the police department all the time. They were able to get the information out, and once it started coming, I mean, I made a, I'm getting a steak 
dinner for Matt Miller because I told him that Karrion Conley was going to get drafted and then it ended up being the first round. But if if he cleared and we heard Howie Roseman talking about how much he loved Karrion Conley, I just it, I guess he couldn't do that when it's in Philadelphia with all the questions. I don't know. It's appropriate he's going to the Raiders, though. Let's talk about the event itself. I thought it looked none of neither none of the three of us were there, but I thought it looked absolutely terrific on TV. I, I don't think they could have set that up better, regardless of our snark about the steps and the columns and, and all that. And I did not love how they built a fake stone wall for the players to walk down while they're in the middle. Keep in mind, like they're positioned in the middle of the art muse- museum steps, and they're walking past a fake stone wall. That bothered me a little, but. The event overall looked, I thought, terrific on TV, on both networks. The money shots, especially right as it was getting underway and the sun was setting, it was absolutely awesome. You had national reporters who do not like to rave about Philly, were absolutely raving about the event, the setup, and particularly the fans. The boo of Roger Goodell, top five boo of all time, I thought, lasted a good 55 seconds, never wavered, was continuous throughout the night. Um awesome when the Cowboys picked I, I, I don't Adam I don't know how much of it you actually got to see I know you had a had a monitor in front of you but Russ like could this have could this have gone better for Philly and as no, if, right no. now we're recording at 6 30 in the morning as of yet I have not heard of an incident that has happened um we still have th- three days to go but so far it seems like this this is an absolute home run, and I would love they got it two years in a row in Chicago. Do it two years again in Philly. I, so far, awesome, awesome event put on by Philly looked, in the league. It looked great on TV. Uh, I said on Wednesday that it, it reminded me of the Fan Mile in Berlin. I mean, it it really did. Uh, people were packed in there, um, but it just looked awesome on TV. And once I finally got to see what the stage looked like. And, and how it kind of flowed with the, the art museum. Like, I thought they, they, for the most part, they did it justice. And I think that, uh, you know, the, the guys on the national telecast ha- couldn't have anything negative to say about it. It looked great. It, fu- it was a, a good functionality. And, and overall, you know what? Uh, it, was, it was better than doing it inside of some auditorium. It gave it some, some flair. And I really, really, really was glad to see that the weather held out. Because there was nothing... That could have oh, been worse night. than than for it to rain uh, during the the draft last night. That would have been a shame. But the fact that it was so nice out, um, you got some awesome shots of the fans with uh, it looked like those massive glow sticks. Um, especially when the Eagles were going to pick, you just saw a sea of green uh, neon lights. So I don't know. I just thought it was really cool. Um, and for yeah, me- I, I agree. I agree. I'd love to see it go there. You know, two years in a row. I mean, look, I just ty- if you type in Schefter Philadelphia into Twitter, he had two tweets. One, wildest, most raucous atmosphere in draft history. Philadelphia bringing it. Two, draft never has been this raucous ever. Not even close. Philadelphia bringing it. Uh, I'm, I'm super proud. I don't know how many times they mentioned booing Santa, batteries, all that stuff on the broadcast. That's the thing. Super it wasn't bad I didn't at all. Hear it. It That's wasn't amazing. Based, the That's NFL great. Network started off. I thought it was going to be awful because their the red carpet show. By the way, Kay Adams, um, their red carpet show was just drenched in Rocky. When Melissa Stark came out, within ninety seconds, she was introducing Carl Weathers, and he was giving players questions 
out of Apollo Creed's hat, I was like, oh God, this is going to be a long night. But I was going back and forth. I watched mostly NFL Network and was going back and forth between that and ESPN. I don't know if I can recall a single Rocky reference other than uh, repeatedly referring to it as the Rocky Steps, which is fine. And by the way, when they were playing Eye of the Tiger before, or the or the theme before, I forget which it was, um, I was all in. I was like, you know what, you're doing the event on the Rocky Steps, have at it. But I didn't I didn't find any any of the Philly tropes pop up. And the boo, we owned the boo. Goodell embraced the boo. I thought it was just like the perfect, the perfect Philly night. And I think, I think it was one of those nights where the national audience finally got our sort of tongue in cheek relationship with the boo. Is that, does that even make sense? Yeah. And I'm actually, I, so I saw Jimmy Kemsky tweet this out last night. He goes, thank you so much to people of Philadelphia for not doing the what the John Cena thing with Roger Goodell too. I like that going to Philly. They got rid of all of the old draft people. It, it did feel like a whole lot of new crop of fans and, yeah, you know what? I know we were worried about it because I think we were all somewhat a little self-conscious that something bad was going to happen. And two days. for them to go out there and kick ass like this, it's it's definitely a lot of pride. I'm proud of Philly. Yeah. What yeah, was that you said about the what? The, the so, John Cena you know, what? So Roger Goodell used to do this all the time where he'd be like, he'd be like, with the second pick. And then the crowd would go, what? Oh, uh, see, that's. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in here with yeah, my tell me, I'm probably wrong. my expansive WWE knowledge here. That was uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes, you are, you are correct. You are correct. And I uh, would and excuse me for even mentioning John Cena in the same breath as Stone Cold. Somebody my is apologies. gonna end up getting a, a, a stunner after the show. Yeah, that'll, that'll be in the comment section. Kyle. At Adam Lefko on Twitter for Kyle, all. Kyle, what's your Kyle? What's w- your commenter w- voice? Uh, all right, so so it's real cheesy. Hold on, I got to read the comments in the voice. Uh, no, no, no. <clears throat> just do a do a comment about Stone Cold to me right now. Like, what do you think it would say? Oh, see, my, see, it doesn't work for Stone Cold. It's the this sucked. It's the bad, the weirdo. It's it's a it's a very douchey oh, mainline good. accent. Yeah, no, I, I like it, it. I like that. Yeah, I usually read them on the uh, in, on a dark light and post the videos to the site. So it. <laughs> it, it, it does a little more for it, but I, I don't know if I can get stone cold out of that. It's got to be making fun of me for being a mainline douche, which I'm not. Can I, can I just I'm a say douche. that I, I, don't I live really on the did. I really did like Roger Goodell kind of saying, bring it on Philly. Uh, totally played into it. And I think that was part of why it was such a good moment from the national perspective of like, yeah, Philly is totally going to go in on Goodell. And it's a unifying moment across the nation because everybody hates Roger Goodell. Absolutely. Pick the heel and pour it on. It's yep. exactly what happens whenever Gary Bettman walks up at the NHL yep. draft. Same thing. Like it it was just perfect. It was one so of, well done. Good job. One to all of the these fans. days we will find the America will find a commissioner that it likes. One of these days. Um all right, so look, there's gonna be no shortage of draft talk today. I think we added our two cents fairly well. Uh, we wanted to get to to this on Wednesday. I think today's an even better day for it because ESPN had an absolute massacre of it wound up being 70 plus i want to say on-air personalities a lot of them were web writers and stuff but there were some big names were let go jason stark edwarder jade mccarthy len elmore andy katz pierre lebrun trent dilfer many others dana o'neill who's a very good and a local college basketball writer i'm partial because she covered villanova well and wrote a book about jay Wright. but a lot of a lot of talented people were let go um, there's a lot to unpack here. So if you haven't been following the story, ESPN 
It's losing revenue. The ratings are down a little bit. And there's really two reasons behind this. One is they are losing what are called carriage fees. And that is, there is there, if you have a cable subscription in the United States, there is a very, very good chance that you are paying for ESPN. You have ESPN. And you, what yep. you may not know is that you're paying for it. About $7 of every cable bill goes directly to ESPN. They sort of pioneered this model. It started as like 20 cents back back in the 80s, and they've continually jacked it up as they've gotten more sports rights, and cable providers essentially had to offer their subscribers ESPN, and ESPN is able to hold them hostage. So as people are cutting the cord, or younger people are just never getting cable in general, there are a lot of people out there, believe it or not, who do not like sports and do not want to pay $7 a month for ESPN. Even people who do like sports might not be comfortable paying $7 a month for something they didn't directly sign up for. So ESPN struggling in that regard. The ratings are down, I think, somewhere in the mid-teens, which does hurt advertising revenue. But the big story is is the carriage fees. And on Wednesday, ESPN realized they had to cut some costs. They have, they're paying billions to the NFL and the NBA. And in a few years, those rights are going to come up again. And for ESPN to justify their fee to cable providers or to over-the-top streaming services, or even just as a direct, direct subscription, they're going to need money to pay for that stuff. And they're going to uh, bid big. So um, there's a lot to unpack here about who they let go and the direction of... Wow. Sorry, gotta, it was it was New, New York. York. That was yeah. New York going. Get, we get it, Kyle. Six thirty in the morning. Um, Adam, what are your thoughts? You're in the business. Uh, my my first thought is I feel awful for all the ESPN people. I can't imagine reaching a pinnacle of a profession and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, sorry, we can't afford you." Uh, two. Um, the middle class of broadcasting is dead. A lot of those people that were fired were in the two to three hundred thousand dollars a year, uh, and that no longer exists. So now you're either getting criminally underpaid for being on national TV, or you're like a Scott Van Pelt making damn near seven figures. The middle class is dead. It's all personality right now, and that means that means either debate or people that we've seen around for a long time or influencer. People with very large social media backgrounds that they believe can translate like the Michael and Jamil at six. Um, SportsCenter has gotten rid of their rotating anchors, uh, which was always a fun thing for me growing up, seeing who would be doing the six, who would be doing the 10, who would be doing the overnights. That's now dead. They've all been personalized for certain broadcasting right there. Um, and it, what's the other thing that really scares me just from the profession standpoint is there's nowhere for these people to go. Like there's no NBC or FS1 or CBS that's hiring right now because they're all trying to figure it out too. And the last point that I'm going to make is this ESPN and what we know is will be replaced by Google and Netflix and Amazon in no time because you know who has flush cash to afford NFL rights and NBA rights when they come up again and doesn't have to worry about advertisers and carriage fees, Google and Amazon mm -hmm. and Netflix, because yeah, we might go, hey, watch Sunday on Google because they can afford it. Uh, so that's my next plan is I'm trying to be a broadcaster for Google. 
because they're they're five blocks down and i hear that they have like a ball pit and cotton candy dispensers so i think that this is the industry changing in a big way and it should scare everybody but look at this we're doing a podcast for three times a week daily consumption we are trying to disrupt radio i work for bleacher report we focus on notifications social moments and all that stuff we're trying to disrupt espn it's all fair game we can broadcast from anywhere a few years ago what we're doing right now wouldn't be possible but now everyone can have a microphone everyone can have distribution and it's a fair fight and it's not just you take what we give you it's what do i want to take so there are t- uh, russ i'll go to you in a sec there are two components of the story and i think you touched on the first one the first is espn's future is they need these broadcast rights, but even even if they cut costs, even if they can keep get the ratings back up and generate more revenue, they are going to be competing with a whole in a whole different landscape. So that's the first part of this. The second is the actual talent they let go and some of those decisions. We'll get to that in a second. But to your point about competing with Google and Amazon and Netflix, the way it works is ESPN has been able to generate. Uh, justify these carriage fees because they have these great events. And because they had these carriage fees, they could pay, in some cases, outrageous sums. In some, some would argue too much for rights, especially to the, you know, the, the recent NBA and NFL deals are through the roof. They have some better college deals. But in a couple of, they were previously competing with networks. So when you look at CBS or you look at Fox or you look at TNT to a lesser extent, when they're bidding against those networks for broadcast rights, those networks are okay breaking even or maybe even losing a little bit of money on, on the game because they get to use it to prop up all of their other programming. Think about how many 60 Minutes ads you see during the NFL and CBS or think about how many promos for every goddamn Fox show you see. through Bob's Burgers. Yeah. Exactly. So it, those, these are lost show. leaders or promotional vehicles for – for those other networks, ESPN's different. And, and they can, by the way, they have much higher margins on those shows that they produce that tend to be lower cost, even if they're, a, you know, if they're, especially if they're like a scripted drama or a formulaic uh, Tuesday night fair or whatever it is. ESPN's different. They get the carriage fees. Sure, they get advertising revenue from their other shows. When you start competing with a Netflix or, to me, the really scary one is Amazon and Google and YouTube, same company, all those companies are flush with cash. To me, Amazon is the one that is really scary because not only do they have a ton of cash, but they are historically, famously okay with not tur- turning a profit. And, and it's part of the reason why they're able to undercut all of their competitors pretty much in every industry there is. But they, they are okay if they bid for football, and they did get Thursday Night Football this year, even if they lose money directly and can't back it up with additional subscriptions or additional uh, advertising dollars around the game, they can use those games to, to promote actual products that they get a cut mm. out of. So if you're Amazon... I don't think it is even far-fetched to say that in a couple of years, you could be watching an Amazon broadcast game, a guy scores a touchdown, and you get a notification, whether it's on your phone or a pop-up on your smart TV that says, for the next 10 minutes, his jersey is 10% off, order it. And the way Amazon's going now, 
you could have that jersey by the end of the game. That sounds like farcical or fantastical, but I don't really think it is. So, I mean, they have a, they don't even need to advertise for someone else. They can advertise their own products. And just from like on a super micro scale of that, to me, it's all the best way to monetize the website, like dollar for dollar, has always been when we could sell a product. It's great to have advertisers, but when we can promote our trust the process sweatshirts, that is worth way more, way more than any ad advertiser will give you because there's a middleman in there, um, and Amazon takes that to like the nth scale. So. Even if ESPN is able to recoup some of these carriage fees and bolster their advertising dollars and lower their costs, they're going to be competing in a whole different landscape, and it just might not make sense for them to get these rights. And if they don't get these rights again in a few years, and they don't have Monday Night Football or as much NBA as they do, now when you're part of a streaming package where people have options and it's a little more a la carte, they can choose that they don't want ESPN. Or if you have to subscribe directly... They can choose that they don't want it, and, and then the people who do want it are going to pay 20 25 bucks a month. I mean, Russ, you, you spend time with like, you know, people way younger than us. What like, are their viewing habits and attitudes towards ESPN? Well, I, I think it's important to point out the fact that when, when all of this started happening— all I thought about was the, uh, the Red Wedding from Game of Thrones. Like Disney walked in expecting— to get more, you know, more rights to sporting events, and instead they they got betrayed by the Googles, the Amazons, and Netflix of the world, and uh, and it's it's going to go very poorly for them very quickly. Uh, yeah, I do think you're right about Amazon being the biggest threat. Amazon has already, you know, they got ten games of Thursday Night Football this year for fifty million dollars, which. If you think about it, even if they don't turn a profit on it, like what I'd like to see them do, and I think this is part of, to answer your question, what you know, younger viewers want to see, is I'd love to see the Amazon telecast be different, um, where, where it goes to commercial break on the regular TV telecast, that on Amazon, maybe they do something that's more like NFL films, where you're down on the sidelines, you're just hearing the sounds of the stadium or the sounds of the game, instead of being forced to watch a commercial. And I think if Amazon is able is willing and able to do something like that and to get people to stop watching it on the CBSs of the world, even the NFL networks of the world and watch their product because it's so much more engaging and it makes you feel so much more like you're there at the stadium. I think that would do a lot, especially for the younger viewers because nobody likes commercials. You know, the, 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 the kids that uh, I encounter on a daily basis do not want ads they're almost willing to pay to get ads removed from apps. So if you're going to say that, look, you might have to pay a monthly fee to Amazon, but you also get great content on the TV side of things and movies, it feels like you're getting more for your money. I'd rather personally pay the $10 a month or, or whatever it is. It's like uh, 100 bucks a year, I guess. So it's less than that, 8 bucks a month. Um, I'd rather pay that and then also know that I'm getting two-day shipping and then I'm getting The Man in the High Castle and like all those kind of shows Plus, which what is could boring, potentially by the way. No, I love it. But <laughs> what could potentially be a better product in terms of the actual setup of the game and the telecast? I'm telling you, if they they can't, from my perspective, it would be stupid to do the traditional model of a broadcast on Amazon, especially during commercial breaks. If you do something that's different, that's how you pull people off of their TVs and onto their fire sticks or however however they consume their media. I I don't um, I, I have I have one industry point that I want to explain to people because I think 
numbers sometimes can help. Yeah, I was, um, go ahead. Okay, so um, the U.S. internet ad industry, the money being spent from advertisers went from $59.6 billion to $72.5 billion in a year. Okay, so it went up like $13 billion. Of all of that new money, all of it that went to internet companies, 99% of it went to Google and Facebook. Think about that. That's not just ESPN.com. That's not just Bleacher Report. That's Target.com. That's JCPenney.com. That's BuzzFeed. 99% of it went to Google and Facebook. ESPN announced that they're trying to have a bigger digital footprint. The, the Google and Facebook, we exist in their worlds. Remember, Facebook owns Instagram and all of that. Google owns practically everything. The only thing I'll say is there was another story that came out this week. Barbie sales declined for the third straight year. They dropped 13%. Barbie's dying. When we were younger, I bet you guys were saying, man, man, Barbies have been around forever. They're going to be around forever. That's how I felt about ESPN. The institutions that we thought would never die are dying. And it's going to be a really weird landscape in five to 10 years because Barbie's trying to figure out Barbie.com right now. And that's not their world. I go to my chase.com and they're like, Hey, would you like to read an interview with Serena Williams? I'm like, no, I'd like to check my fucking checking account, but everybody's trying to get content right now and figure it out. And none of them know what the hell they're doing. Can I also uh, say that I think like one of the things that it might be the most upsetting, especially like there, there's always been the cynic in me, and I know that I'm branded as like the the overall media hater in the room, but but I don't actually at this point get as much pleasure out of watching the the inevitable demise of ESPN like I would have liked five or ten years ago. I think it's a shame that, and, and I know we talked once before about the idea that every young media person it seems like who wants to go into radio is trying to be Colin Coward. I feel like so many of the people that are going into the TV side of things are trying to be their own version of Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott was incredible at what he did. And the the like the Scott Van Pelts of the world are great at what they do. But I think so often people are trying to make their their impact in the market that they're losing sight of who they are and, and how they, you know, are how they made it to where they did. And it, and it is a shame because now I look at it as these people are losing their livelihoods. And like Adam said, there's nowhere for them to go. Like a Jason Stark will get picked up and Ed Werder so. will get picked up. But all they, they'll wind these, up these, somewhere. These writers, like, like, let me, what are those people? You know, I want to pose your point about coming up in the business and being on air to Adam. Cause I think, I mean, that's right in your wheelhouse. You, you, oh, I get you are I, a sports my, anchor. my friends still go, Hey, you want to go to ESPN? Like that's still the question that I get. And is that is that true? Like not no, now. No, I don't probably. want to live in Bristol, Connecticut. That sounds <laughs> awful. But I'm but a I, human. That's the thing is, I think I'm the only one in this business sometime that's like, oh, I'd like to have a family and be a human. And like, as long as I'm getting paid to talk about sports, I love life. And Bleacher Report for me right now is that company that has figured out social and all that stuff. So I'm not going to go to the traditional broadcasting company that's trying to figure it out. That's the reason I went to Bleacher Report in the first place, because I saw this three years ago. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Uh, one other thing, Russ, to your point about Amazon broadcasting the games differently, I'm totally with you. I think eventually it has to get to, not doesn't have to get to a point, but these, these other companies, since they don't have these same conventions, will, will be able to do things differently. For now, though, with the Thursday night games, I believe they're just simulcasting them, so you're going to yes. get the, ex- the exact same broadcast. There might be some wiggle room at, uh, on the commercial front, and they might be able to do some things in those windows because it's on top of everyone else who's watching the game on TV and Amazon can promote their own products and those things. So they can have different ways to monetize it. But I think ultimately you're never going to get sports without ads because there's always going to be people who will not pay for it. You know, my wife likes watching football. She's not going to pay for it, but when it's on, she'll watch it. And then she has to deal with commercials. But I agree with you that over time, um, you know, it would, it would, they're going to be able to do some things that are a little bit different to bring in a younger audience. And Roger Goodell talked about it last night. They're already cutting out one of the five commercial breaks per quarter, which is a, I'm sure that just means the other ones will be longer uh, yeah. and halftime will be longer, but uh, less stoppages is always a good thing. So the NFL, I think, recognizes this to, to some degree. Um, there's, there's a fine balance. Um, the other thing, kind of quickly, I, I feel like there's two ways ESPN could have gone with this. And they took away the road that no one wanted them to take. It might make financial sense. They decided that these local reporters or even the specialists like Jason Stark and Ed Werger really weren't driving towards that vision of more carriage fees and broadcast rights and higher ratings. The first takes of the world, the, the, the Scott Van Pelt show, those are the things that really drive ESPN's ratings. So for their advertising business, um, that's what's important. But one of the things, I think the thing, people who really dislike ESPN and like to rail on it and acknowledge the fact that it's gone downhill relatively quickly and SportsCenter is no longer indispensable. There are, there are reasons for that. But one of the reasons people roll their eyes at ESPN is, be, is because they go towards this contrived debate. And it seems like, to me, ESPN could have let go of half as many, half as many people who make twice as much money and those and and double down on really solid reporting and quality, more thirty for yeah, thirty you're, stuff. Yeah, you're you're the reason why ESPN had to fire people, Kyle, because what is good is not always popular. Totally, you know who agree. the number one seller of wine is in the world? Uh, Franzia, Franzia, I'm gonna guess. Costco. Hey, you know, Nicki Minaj just passed Aretha Franklin for most top 100 hits of all time. Would any of us say that Nicki Minaj is better? Look, no, I totally, but she's I, more popular. I totally get what you're driving. We at. don't it, like first take. I get but it. Millions of freaking people watch first take and could give two shits because as soon as Ed Werder has this great inside information, it goes on Twitter and then it's no longer Ed Werder's. It's impossible to monetize breaking news. It's possible to monetize a show that is contrived with debate. I agree with you. And I, I'm well aware that quality, you're never going to get the same audience. But he, here's my argument against that. And I put on site the other day. ESPN is in a situation where people will have a choice whether or not they want to pay them those carriage fees or subscriber fees. And that is as easy as it is to watch first take and as big as its ratings may be, it is right now, we talked about this in our last show, media is about attention rather than um, total total impressions at this point. Things are moving towards attention, I want to say. And um, 
so in a couple of years, if you're a if you have the choice to subscribe to ESPN or not, and this is real, ultimately what's important to them, something like First Take is not really indispensable. No one is going to say, well, I really need to see this. I really need to see uh, you know, these loud debate shows. But there might be, look at the Netflix model. So many people pay for Netflix because they know there is really quality content, and they might not watch everything on there, but there might be one or two things that they really like. Same deal with HBO. And if ESPN is churning out hard knocks type stuff, more 30 for 30 type stuff, doesn't always have to be serious either. It could be quality. If there's comedy in it, even better, right? But when people are making that decision, do I really need to pay $9.99 a month for ESPN just because I want to watch Tuesday Night Basketball? If ESPN has one or two really good series that people need, I feel like that could be more important than the overall mass of the audience just to milk every last ad dollar out of it. I know there, there's definitely a debate there. I, I'm not going to like argue that my way is right, but... I think people wanted to see them get rid of the idiocy, and they they doubled down on it for better or worse. I think which I think is also part of the shame of like what what FS1 is doing. Um, their I think it's their senior vice president used to work at ESPN. Yeah, Jamie and Harlitz. he and, and he essentially said that their their model going forward is going to be to essentially emulate what what ESPN did. So instead of them going on the reporting side as well. They're do, trying to do a ratings grab with this undisputed show with Shannon Sharp and uh, Skip Bayless, and They're not getting it. By the it, way, it seems like and and it seems like every time an article comes out about it, I think it's uh, Richard Richard is it Deitch, Deitch. Deitch? You know, he always seems to be the one to point out that yeah, Undisputed's ratings might be up, but Nickelodeon or like Nick Junior shows get like six times the audience of this show that they're you know trying to bank on being the game changer for them. And it's a shame because I I don't know who exactly is watching first take, who wants to watch Skip uh who wants to watch Stephen A. Smith yell at the top of his lungs. Take a look at the crowd about, at Chickies and Pete's yesterday and you'll get a real good sense of who's watching first take. I mean it is just, like look, we're all educated dudes ish you know, who, who follow and have a little bit more of a discerning taste. But I mean there's a there's a lot of I don't even know the way to say this, but there you know there's a lot of dumber people out there that that eat that stuff up i know that's i don't know i i I don't know i think you're right i just think that it's interesting deitch is also the kind of person that preaches that we should be watching more women's basketball and that's kind of his thing and his thing is always it's the journalistic integrity of these organizations to cover news and what these organizations are telling us is listen we have parent companies they're asking where the hell the money is and we can't have this journalistic integrity for news anymore now it could lead much like the election led to a lot of these independent subscription websites with reporting we even have it in philly Derek bodner is trying to give good reporting and apparently people are willing to pay for it maybe that's where the reporting will come from maybe edwarder could get his own edwarder.com and get breaking news and write his own content but these companies are telling us one thing news does not equal money and we are short on cash. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm not in the I'm not as rosy and on the ivory tower as much as, as Deitch is. I just feel like and the entire industry is moving is is embracing debate. And I, I'm just not a believer in for the long term good doubling down on 
on lesser quality. I know that works in, in all sorts of businesses, but when people have a choice to, to put up or shut up with their money and, and the, the quality's not there, it doesn't even has to have to be great journalism. I, there's a way to do quality programming that's fun and light. I just think a lot of the debate stuff is not quality. So I, I'm not a believer in doubling down on, on things that just um, at a very base level are not good. But I mean, this is a sure. discussion that everyone is trying to figure out right now and we're not going to solve it uh you know in 22 minutes on a on a friday morning um real quick we got a few minutes left let's do a couple of quick segments how's that for a transition by the way again was nice i really proud of you working on it uh i think i can only stick around for one of these so whichever one all right so uh all right who are you you're a real molly quirum Who's the big winner from last night? I got uh, Takaris. Is it Takaris? Takaris McKinley's grandmother. Um, gotta be happy. Gotta be happy. I mean, the the, uh, the find find me later is also a T-shirt in Atlanta, and I am so so upset that that wasn't an Eagles pick because they would have been printed and shipping out this morning oh. if that were here. Uh, also, by the way, oh, we got the audio. Let's play it here. It means everything, man. It means everything. I made a promise to her. Like I said, I was gonna go D1. I was gonna get out of Richmond. I was gonna get out of Oakland. I was gonna live my dreams, play the NFL. And I'm here, man. I completed the promise. That means every fucking thing to me. Excuse my language. Man, find me later, man. Find me later, man. This means everything to me. Everything to me, man. What you didn't hear at the end of that was uh, credit to Dion for bringing, reeling him back in and telling him to channel his passion. And he actually seemed to take the advice right there in real time and recalibrate the interview. So I thought that was pretty good. Uh, Adam, big winner? Uh, big winner for me is uh, the NFL in terms of competing with the Patriots. I think the two best teams in the AFC, the Texans and Chiefs, were a quarterback away from competing with the Patriots, and they both got one. And I look at some other teams in the NFL, and I go, man, the 49ers can be rebuilding quickly. The Jaguars are rebuilding quickly. I thought it was a really good draft except for three teams. I thought Cincinnati reached on John Ross. I thought Baltimore picked picked Marlon Humphrey and it sucked. And I thought the Eagles picked Derek Barnett and it sucked. And I'm sorry for everyone. If you're waking up and you're in your commute and you wanted to be positive about Derek Barnett, I'm not that guy. I apologize. Russ, big winner. And my, my, my big winner. And I know that we said on Wednesday that we didn't think that the city of Philadelphia would really have a lot monetarily to show from this, but Philadelphia is the big winner. The money shots of the crowd, the setup on the art steps, and, and overall, just not having the national media pound people over the head with Santa Claus, D batteries, and, you know, all that stuff, and, and like, cuts to cheesesteaks every 10 seconds. Philadelphia is a big winner. They did a great job. The people who set it up deserve credit. And, and you know what? Like, I don't know if it's necessarily going to change uh, any kind of perception about the city of Philadelphia, but I wouldn't be too surprised to see the tourism numbers in the summer go up at least a little bit. So uh, Philly wins for me, and to- it really was a great job. Totally agree, and I think that whole setup looked better. It lo- I thought it was going to be kind of sparse the way it was laid out, but when you packed the people in there, it really did. Uh, it looked like an absolute great setup, and the visuals on TV were awesome. Um, that's probably a good place to end it. Uh, that's, that's our show. Again, thanks for listening. 
We welcome comments, feedback, and uh, of course, questions. We usually get to, to them at the end, and we will. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your podcast player of choice. And please be sure to leave us a five star review. That definitely helps with our ranking in iTunes. We want to see if we can crack. Uh, we want to see if we can come up on uh, on Sims and Lefko. There, you guys are in the in the low one hundred. So we're. Oh man, I would love it. I if it would be Nicki Minaj passing Aretha Franklin, man, it'd be great. All right, we'll see you guys on Monday. Chatting on the interweb Maggots prey upon the living dead I had no interest in the things she said on the phone.